Hello, this is Oscar from A Composer's Journey podcast, where we dive deep into learning skills, techniques, and ideas on becoming a modern composer. This episode is all about how to make a massive, epic, Hollywood-style orchestral sound without cheating. So the reason this sort of idea came about is because I was watching a lecture by John Powell. You might know John Powell. He's an amazing film composer. He did the How to Train Your Dragon series. He did the recent Star Wars solo film. And I know um, it had a mixed reception, the solo film, but I thought the film score was absolutely phenomenal for Solo, a Star Wars story. Just kept me thrilled, glued to my seat, ears you know, wide listening to it. Amazing film score. Uh, also did classics, Chicken Run. Um, and John Powell in this lecture said that he used to find orchestral production really difficult. He used to find it hard to mock up a realistic sounding orchestra. But suddenly, things became a lot easier when he learnt proper orchestration. He used to find mocking up orchestra really difficult. It was really hard to make it sound realistic until he learnt traditional orchestration. Because when you start using these instruments as they're supposed to be used, even if they're virtual instruments, even if they're fake instruments on your computer, when you start using them properly, things start to fit together a lot more easily. You no longer need to cheat. Things sound natural because you're using the instrument in the best way that it can be used. So this is an example of the synthesis of modern technique and traditional technique. Traditional technique being, you know, traditional orchestration and modern technique being trying to mock it up on your computer. The thing is, nowadays with modern techniques, people cheat. Uh, they go pure modern. They say, oh, I want my brass to sound more epic and more brassy. So I'm going to add this 16 horn patch and I'm going to add these 10 trombones and five tubers, you know, a ridiculous amount of brass when actually you don't need that much brass. You just need to learn some proper orchestration technique. Or, you know, there are some virtual music libraries now that are selling strings which, uh, which have 344 string players. String libraries with 344 string players. Now, on one level, that's kind of awesome because you can create amazing sonic effects with those forces. But it also is completely unrealistic in the real world. It sets unrealistic expectations. And sometimes we wind up using those kinds of libraries to compensate for our lack of good orchestration technique. So this is a place where traditional methods, good real world orchestration can really enhance your modern composing techniques. If you really want to create an amazing orchestral mock-up, then it's worth learning good traditional orchestration because your orchestral samples will generally sound better if you use them in the way that you're supposed to use that instrument in real life. If you combine, also if you combine different instruments in the way that you'd combine them in real life. So it is possible to create a massive epic sound with just the natural symphony orchestra. I mean, of course it is, you know, listen to a Mahler symphony, listen to loads of late romantic symphonies. They're not cheating, they're using the real orchestra. And John Powell said, that he stopped needing to cheat so much when he started learning better orchestration. Because even with sample libraries, even with fake, you know, virtual synthetic instruments, 
They can sound much better. They can sound much more realistic if you write using good technique, good orchestration. Whereas if you write with bad orchestration, then yeah, you may need to cheat to make it sound as good as you want it to. So I'm going to show you how I make a big orchestral sound, and I'm going to try and explain in some detail every step and every decision that I make. And by the way, I made a YouTube video on this too, where uh, I sort of go through all this very quickly. And this podcast is an opportunity to go into that same musical excerpt, but in a fair bit more detail. So anyway, here's how I get this orchestral sound. First, I'm going to play you the finished product so you can hear what we're going to build. This is the finished product. so on. <laughs> Got a little reverb tail there too. But that is, uh, that is the excerpt that we're going to be looking at. So there's the excerpt. What I should say is before I, start, before I start orchestrating, I plan first. This is really important to plan the music first. Uh, so if you were just going to dive straight into orchestration, and some people do this, some people are like, oh, I'm going to add a flute line here, and now I'm going to add trumpets here, I'm going to add a horn line here, I might add some violins here. Some people just kind of sprinkle different spices on without planning where they're actually going. And I guess it works for some people, or else they wouldn't do it. But I find it much more useful to plan where you're going musically before you start attempting to orchestrate. Uh, if you know where you're going musically, then you'll know what effect you want and you'll be able to make much better decisions about what you're going to do with your orchestra. So the way I plan is I use the piano and I figure out the melody and the harmony. So in this instance, in the in the excerpt we just heard, I planned the melody. And I spent some good time figuring out what chords would work best for this for this moment. So I figured out the melody and I figured out the chords that are going underneath it. And I'd also spend some time figuring out any counterpoint, any secondary or tertiary lines that you want with that music. So plan first. It'll actually make your life so much easier. It might feel slower at first, but then you'll know where you're going and the decisions you make about orchestration will be a lot more informed because you'll know what effect you want. You, you, you'll know what effect you want. So you won't just be randomly adding a flute here, randomly adding an oboe. You'll know that you want this big, epic, brassy sound, for example, and you'll know where you're going with it. So let me just tell you what forces I'm working with. This is a virtual orchestra, but the forces I'm working with are triple woodwind. That means that three of each woodwind, there's three flutes, three oboes, three clarinets, and three bassoons. Um, and typically, triple woodwind also means that you have, uh, out of those three flutes, one of them will also play piccolo, which is like a sort of super high version of the flute. <laughs> uh, out of the three oboes, one of them will typically play court anglais, which is a lower oboe, kind of. Um, out of the three clarinets, one of them will typically play bass clarinet, which is this luscious, bass woodwind instrument. And out of the three bassoons, one of them will play contra bassoon, which is an ultra low bassoon. So um, triple woodwind means there's three of each woodwind, but there's typically out, out, of, out of those three, one of them will play the um, piccolo, cor anglais, bass clarinet, 
and contrabassoon. So triple woodwind, very normal in a post-romantic orchestra. Then I'm using six French horns. This could just be four French horns, to be honest. In this texture, I could have done with four. I went for six. Four or six is pretty normal in a late romantic orchestra. Uh, three trumpets, three trumpets, perfectly standard. Three trombones plus a bass trombone, very standard in um, very standard in film orchestras. Three trombones and a bass trombone, and then only one tuba. Some orchestras might like two two tubas. I just use one tuba. So once again, the brass is six horns. Four would be fine, but I use six. Six horns, three trumpets, three trombones, and a bass trombone. So that's four trombones and one tuba. After that, I have a harp, a timpani which a timpani, by the way, um, just for those who are completely new to music, timpani are like tuned drums. I'll just play you the timpani line. Uh, this will be, this will be, uh, you wouldn't normally play the timpani this loudly, but here we are. And they can also play lines like. <laughs> so they, they, they sort of, they're tuned, but they can also have a real impact. Uh, I have some percussion, you know, suspended cymbals, bass drum, that kind of thing. And I have strings. So everything that I just said is a very, very standard orchestra. This is completely normal late romantic orchestra. In fact, this is the kind of orchestra that John Williams or the classic Alan Silvestri scores would use. It's all natural and it's a realistic sized orchestra. So anyway, as I say, First, my first step is to plan. Figure out what you want to do. Figure it out on the piano or something. Do you figure out the melody, the harmony, and any counterpoints? By counterpoint, I mean, you know, secondary lines, tertiary lines. In this case, there's not really any counterpoints. So after that, how do I begin orchestrating this? Well, I start with the bass line. I, al I almost always start with the bass line. Um, you might wonder why I, I learned when Brahms was composing, he'd, he believed that the foundation of your composing was in the bass line, really. And um, the way he wrote his bass lines is very interesting. And the way he wrote his bass out in his, in his manuscripts course is very interesting. But I find it very helpful to start with the bass line because it's like the feet. It's like the roots of your sound. You know, I think modern people love bass anyway, but it's the bass is really the root of the sound. And so when you start from there, you start to hear how everything else pieces it together, how everything else piles on top of that bass line. So the bass line, um, I start, I'm gonna start with a tuba. So I'll play you the tuba line, very simple. Very, very simple, very simple. Um, so there's your tuba. And then, uh, you know, every, every note in this passage, because it's epic, every note is marcato. That means it's accented. It's really marked. It's bomb, bomb. It's not smooth and legato. It's probably punch, punch. And then on top of that, you can add a contra bassoon. That's the ultra low woodwind instrument in the bassoons. Um, and this is just a subtle kind of extra bit of acidity. It's kind of subtle. Let's see if you can hear it. Here it is. Here it is on its own. And here it is together. It's very subtle. And on top of that, I would add the 
contrabasses, the double basses of the string family. So this will add, this will be more audible, I hope. So now the brass bass, the woodwind bass, and the strings bass are all playing together. They, each of them have taken on the bass line. And I wanted to give it an extra bit of punch. So there's a couple of ways you can do that. I love bass trombone. For punch, I love bass trombone. When you think about trombones, you know what a trumpet sounds like, right? Well, I hope you know you, you know what a trumpet sounds like. If not, you know, pause this and go listen to a trumpet. But when you listen to um when you listen to trombones, remember that in a in a kind of way, they're sort of like massive, um, massive trumpets. Trombones are like big deeper trumpets. So they can make, you know how trumpets can make these brilliant sounds, these really bright, brilliant, thrilling sounds. Trombones can do that too. They're just deeper, they're, they're, they're lower. They can't play as fast because they're bigger instruments. And, but they can still have that brilliant brightness about it, that brilliant forza, nice force. Let me show you, I mean, you know, a sound is worth a thousand words. So maybe I'll just show you. Here it is, now here's the bass trombones on their own. So, whoops, sorry, no, pressed the wrong button. But uh, bass trombone, you know, it, bass trombone is best in the bass register, hence the name. But you can hear how there's that brightness, that sort of fatness, that punch. If you took a trumpet and uh, just made it a lot bigger, then you might wind up with a trombone. I'm simplifying things a bit, but hopefully you can see that trombones and trumpets really, really are of the same family. So if I put bass trombone together with everything else, that we've introduced so far, we get this. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna mute and unmute the bass trombone so you can hear the difference. So you'll hear when the bass trombone is there and when it isn't. You hear the difference. I mean, just the, the fatness and punch of sound that the bass trombone has. Uh, and and it, it has this sort of brightness as well, this kind of which really makes the bass stick out, which is what you want in this passage. I've learned something since I wrote this cue, which is apparently that if you put the tuba and bass trombone in octaves with each other, they sound even more intense even more bassy, even more forceful. It doesn't even matter which is on the bottom, whether the tuba's on the bottom octave or whether the bass trombone is on the octave. If you put bass trombone and tuba in octaves, you get this incredible force. To be honest, that might actually be too much for this cue. Um, I'm perfectly happy with them in the same octave, but it's worth experimenting with. Try putting your bass trombone and tuba in octaves and see if that adds even more force to your cue. So. What's next? Yes, I wanted to add even more punch to the bass line. So, so far I've got, I've got uh, double basses in the strings. I got tuba and bass trombone in the brass and I got contrabassoon in the winds. So we've got winds, we've got brass, we've got strings. Let's add percussion to the bass line. So I'm gonna add bass drum on its own. The bass drum is simply hitting on every beat.
and I'm going to add timpani, which is going to be doubling the uh, timpani. Remember those tuned drums, um, kettle drums, some people call them, but they are uh, they're going to be doubling the bass line as well. So timpani and bass drum will sound like this. Okay, so that's the timpani's playing pretty darn loud. Normally you wouldn't want them to play that loudly, but uh, this is, you know, the big climax of the cue. So it is going to be that loud. So altogether, that will now be really impactful. That bass line is going to be incredibly impactful. Oh, I forgot to let the timpanis out. Sorry, here we go now with timpanis. Now, this might sound a bit odd to you because it's only a bass line. So we're still missing a lot. So we have our melody now. You remember this? Ba 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 This is a very heroic moment in the queue. What instruments are good for heroism? Shout it out loud at home. But uh, what instruments are good for heroism? Uh, typically, there are two, well, Brass in general are very good, but typically you'd go for French horns or trumpets. Trombones might be epic as well. So French horns, if it's in a middle register, if it's kind of around these notes, yeah, ba 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 ba, that that that'd be perfect for the French horns. If it was trump, if it was really high notes, if you were in a much higher register, use the trumpets. If you're in a much lower bass register, you might want to switch to trombones. But French horns is great for a middling register. And I wanted that kind of sense of heroism. And so I've put all six French horns on uh, this melody. Here it is on its own. Listen to it in all its glory. Um, in context, that will sound like this. Uh, hold on. Here we go. So those horns are really singing out. They're really playing loudly. Remember, horns can sound very epic when they play quietly. You wouldn't normally want them going full blast, but this is the climax of the cue. If you have horns playing really quietly, playing chords, you know, four-part chords or six-part chords, that can sound amazing too. They, they can often sound better when they're quiet. If they're playing too loudly, it sort of spoils the effect. But in this case, we want them playing loudly because it's the climax, it's the big melody, and so we really let them rip. And now, uh, I double it on violins. So we have the violins playing this melody too. This is the first violins. First violins normally play the highest material in the strings. You can hear I've, I've, I might have over-egged some of the accents on that. That was my mistake. But in context, luckily, it's not so noticeable. So um, here are the horns and violins together. So hopefully you can hear that the strings add just a little more high frequency quality. They just add a little more energy to the mix. So I'll, I, what I'm going to do is just mute and then unmute the strings, the violins, and um, see if you can hear the difference and the, see if you can hear the extra character 
that the first violins bring to the mix. So I'm just going to mute and unmute them and see if you can hear the difference. Here they are. So hopefully you can hear the extra energy that they bring. And what I also did actually is add um, piccolo. You remember the, the extra high instrument, which is even higher than flutes. So uh, here it is, the same melody, an octave up in piccolo as well, just to be honest, to give the piccolo something to do. You should be able to hear that if you're listening on good speakers or headphones. If you're listening on kind of uh, low quality speakers and headphones, that piccolo might not be audible. But it does actually add a little bit of extra energy in the high end. I'm going to mute and unmute it. And you, again, you might not be able to hear this on low quality speakers, but there we are. So here we go. So again, that, that's really subtle, but it, or sometimes, you know, the real subtlety does make a difference. I learned this with cooking as well. I got kind of obsessed with cooking over lockdown. And, um, you know, sometimes, you know, you know how it is just a, a pinch of salt or, you know, a, a touch of acidity can make all the difference in a meal. Um, and, you know, it's subtle, but it just makes all the difference. And in the same way, adding that piccolo, um, it's not like it's had an immediately obvious effect, but it does just add that extra high frequency energy. And it does just add that tiny bit of energy that just, to me, adds a little more quality to the whole thing. So anyway, the melody is being held by horns, first violins and piccolo. So let's listen to everything together now. We've got the bass line and we've got our melody. Let's go. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. Um, I... <laughs> actually muted the violins and piccolo because I'm a dummy. There we go. Okay, good stuff, good stuff. Now we want more harmony. We got bassline, we got melody, but we want harmony. Normally when we say harmony, we mean um, the kind of chords underneath. That harmony's it's a little more um, nuanced than that, but harmony, if you're at a beginner's level, harmony really means the chords underneath the melody. Uh, so what I'm going to do is add trombones. Remember, trombones and trumpets are related. So we have our bass trombone. Our bass trombone, if you remember, is doing this. But we also have three other trombones, and these trombones are called tenor trombones. Tenor trombones, they're higher than the bass trombones. And I, they're still kind of in the lower end of the brass family, but they can do really nice things. In this case, I want them playing chords to really add a sense of solid harmony to the mix. So here's what I got the trombones doing. It's the three-part chords. There's three of them, so I got them doing three-part chords. So that's just going to thicken out the harmony. If I do that with bass trombone, you can hear the whole trombone family. To be honest, they're, they're a little out of balance. I've, I've, I've clearly turned up the bass trombone a bit because I love the sound of it, but, um, but there we are. So here's those trombone chords in the full mix. Have a listen to this. Uh, here we go. 
again, it's really subtle. It's really subtle, but these things matter. These things really do matter. Um, it's subtle. And if you were listening on, on lower ends, because you might not be able to hear those chords yet, um, you know, you might not, you know, your consciousness, I should say, your 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 level of consciousness might not be directed to that. You might not think, oh, those trombone chords, but you'll notice when they're not there. You'll notice when they're missing. When they're there, it just adds an extra layer of solidity, makes you feel like, yes, there is a solid base of harmony. And I'm going to go even further than that because I want to add trumpets to the mix. I don't just want those trombone chords in the lower register of the bass, sorry, the lower register of the brass. Trombones are lower register, trumpets are higher register. And so I want to add some trumpets to the mix with higher chords to really thicken it out. Remember, there are three trumpets and three trombones. So if I have a three note chord in the trombones and a three note chord in the trumpets, then altogether I have a six note chord. So here are the trumpets on their own, and then I'll play them with trombones. So here are the trumpets. Sorry, sorry. Here we go. Chords, lovely chords playing loudly. And now here they are with the trombones. So this is now a six note chord. Remember that trumpets and trombones are closely related in their sound. So they'll really work nicely together with a six part chord. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So all together, now you're really gonna notice these chords in the mix. I'm gonna play you Tutti, here it is. Okay, um, now what I wanted to have into this uh, into this ending bit, I wanted to go whoosh. I wanted it to whoosh in, have those one kind of cinematic whooshing effect. The most obvious classic way to do this is with suspended symbols. Suspended symbols, you know, it's a symbol which is hanging off a piece, of, kind of a piece of a string, <laughs> basically. The symbol is hanging and someone will play with little drumsticks, they'll make it, They'll go on the cymbal and it'll sound like this. Like that. So a nice whooshing effect. And then I enhance that with a harp. And the harp is uh, is gonna glissando. That's when you play like this. So have a listen to this, what it's gonna sound like. Suspended cymbals and harp. Isn't that great? I want to listen to that again. Yes, that's what we want. So again, this is going to be subtle in the mix, but it's all these subtle things added together that makes a really wholesome, full texture. These subtle things matter in the sense that, you know, your conscious attention might not be directed to, oh, there's a harp glissander there. But if all these things were missing, your orchestration would sound pretty naked. It would just sound bare. It would sound a bit dull and boring. All these little things do make a difference to the whole. So anyway, here's Tutti with, uh, with the harp glissande and suspended cymbals. Again, it's, it's getting pretty loud now, but let's see if you can hear the harp glissande and suspended cymbals. You'll hear that they're subtle, but they make a difference.
Yes. Yes. Um, and again, it'll be more obvious on good speakers than bad speakers, I think. Anyway, what else? There's only a couple things left. So the strings, it just, for me, when I was writing this, it just wanted a little bit more energy. And so what I did was add uh, this kind of running arpeggio figure in the strings. Here it is. This is second violins, violas, and cellos in octaves, I think. There's a little glitch at the end there, but you can hear this. So they're arpeggios. They're all in octaves, second violins, violas, and cellos. But what's happening is they're doing double, uh, uh, they're doing tremolos of two notes. So instead of just going bum, 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 they're going They're playing two notes each time. If you listen closely. You can hear that they're going I can't even do it as quickly as them. But um, that just adds a little bit of energy. If I play everything together now, that adds a little bit of energy to the entire mix, um, which just sends it into the right place for me. And it also means that I'm making use of almost every instrument. I'm, I'm not using the woodwinds in this particular passage because I use them almost everywhere else in the queue. But, uh, but I'm using all of the brass, I'm using the strings, I'm using the percussion. And if I really wanted to use the woodwind, I could, I could use that riff. I could do that. I could have some of the woodwind doubling the horns melody as well. Um, you know, it wouldn't be hard to add woodwind, but I decided to leave them out because they come in about 10 seconds later quite vividly. So anyway, here it is all together one last time. Okay, so um, hopefully you could hear how that energy from the strings going Hopefully you could hear how that energy was really adding to the mix. I'm going to play it one more time. Okay, so there it is. There it is. That's what we've covered in this in this episode. So. A question you might have is, how do you learn this? How do you learn good orchestration? Um, and, you know, I might make a course on this in the future, especially if it's a popular uh, topic. But the simple answer, if you really want to get good at this, is look at other people's work. There are so many free scores out there. All of the Mahler symphonies, for example, just to take one great composer, all of the Gustav Mahler symphonies are in public domain. You can go into a music shop or you can go on Amazon, pick up a copy of Mahler's second symphony score or Mahler's fifth symphony score, or even just download a PDF copy. I prefer having it in hard copy, but you know, download a PDF if you want. It's free online and you can study these scores for hours. You can learn so much just by saying, uh, I like that sound. You're listening to it and you think, I love that sound. How is the composer doing that? Well, you look on a certain page of the symphony and you say, uh, what's he doing there? And what's he doing there to get that effect? Why is he doing that with the bre with the uh, double bass? Why is he doing that with the double bass? And what effect does it have? Why is he doing that with the tuba? What effect does that have? Study the scores. You know, if you want to get a masterclass from Gustav Mahler himself, 
then you can buy his symphonies and study them. Uh, if you want a true masterclass from Gustav Holst, buy the score to the planets and study it. Uh, obviously, you know, you need some basic music theory to actually understand what's going on in the score. And this kind of music theory, foundational music theory, learning from foundational to more advanced music theory is the kind of stuff that I teach on my website, insidethescore.com, insidethescore.com. Uh, so if you want more education on, on music theory, then check that out. But when you can do that, when you can study people's scores, you can learn so much from the masters. They've literally written it all down for us in their notation, in their scores. So learn from them, learn from how they do it. Anyway, I hope you've learned stuff from this. It would really mean a lot to me if you could rate this podcast, you know, you can give it five stars. That would be, that would really be encouraging. And that would really encourage me to continue. Uh, you don't have to, but you know, if you, if you feel inspired to, then that would mean a huge amount. And don't forget that I'm giving away exclusive content once every week. I'm, I'm going in depth teaching something that I learned, giving you an inspiring lesson on my email list. Uh, if you want to join my email list, then you will really get the full experience of this. You really get all the behind the scenes stuff, more of um, learning stuff, little tips, lessons that I've been learning that week. So if you want to join the email list, I highly recommend it. And you'll also get offers and special exclusive things which won't be found anywhere else. Then you can join that on insidethescore.com forward slash composers. So definitely check that out. Anyway, thank you for listening. See you next time.